Hell Fanboy, episode 39. everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 39th edition of the El Fanboy Podcast. Holy crap, what a week. What a week. I am just, I am inundated with DC Justice League goodness, and on the one hand, I love it. On the other hand, oh my God, am I going to need a break after this. Um, yeah, so we're like, it's day two of El Fan, of, uh, of Justice League week here at El Fanboy. Yesterday I had an editorial I put up, I released to all last week's Patreon perk, the Why Justice League Won't Crack a Billion, although honestly yesterday already feels like it was a week ago, there's been so much, then I saw Man of Steel last night, then I stayed up till two in the morning putting up putting up and creating the video rant as I revisited Man of Steel for the first time in four and a half years. And here we are today. I've, I've already, you know, I put up the Man of Steel review. You've got it in podcast form as a bonus episode. You've got it in, you know, video form over on the YouTube. Today, I've got an absolutely stacked show. I, I thought this was going to be, I, I think on some level I was, I was hoping it was going to be a fairly mellow affair. I thought, okay, hopefully I can just focus on Justice League. I'll keep it short and sweet for this week since there's so much going on. I will, I will put all my eggs in the Rick Shue basket because I have Rick Shue from Batman on Film coming on for a... Well, you know, we had a great, great conversation. I can't wait to share that with you. And I just really kind of thought, you know, I'll keep today relatively short and sweet. We'll build it around Rick and I'll move on with my day. But then as I hit the internet this morning to see what's going on in the world, there are so many stories that I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to cover this because there's just, I've got a lot to say. So I'm not going to wait till next week when these stories are old. We are going to hit a lot of major stories today. So this is going to be a stacked show. And, you know, in a lot of ways, this week is very special for me because I feel like, I feel like my entire blogging, podcasting, YouTubing, quote unquote, career has led to this Thursday when I, you know, when I'm going to get to go see Justice League with a bunch of you who are going to come and join in on the fun. You know, it's, it's going to be a culmination event. Kind of like how uh, the, the folks making Avengers Infinity War refer to it. You know, that's a culmination event for the MCU. Well, this Thursday, getting to see Justice League with a bunch of you people is going to be a culmination event of, of, of four years of, the, you know, of, of build towards this. You know, Because it, it was actually my passionate rants to my friends about Man of Steel. You know, those are what led me to contacting Movie Hole and contacting Latino Review for a job in the fall of 2013. You know, so in a way, El Fanboy, MFR, all this stuff that I've been doing, the columns I've been writing and everything, you know, all that was birthed by Snyder's vision for Superman. And so it's fitting that on Thursday, I'll go see his final outing as DC director. I'm going to see the capper of his trilogy and I'm going to be and I'm going to do so surrounded by friends. I'm going to do it surrounded by people who have supported me for years as I've 
cultivated my thoughts on all this stuff. It's, it's really very special and very sort of monumental what a ride it's been so far. And in a way, it's sort of almost like bittersweet because now I feel like, like once the dust settles and I, you know, on Monday and, and Justice League is now in the rearview mirror and we count the opening weekend box office receipts and we know what all the critics have said and I've seen it and I've digested it, you know, I'll officially be in a whole, it'll be a whole new chapter now. You know, Zack Snyder will be behind us. There's going to be a whole new sort of DCEU 2.0 to sort of look forward to. And there's going to be a long break too, because Aquaman doesn't come out for another 13 months. That's the next DC movie. So there's going to be, it's going to be a whole new sort of a new beginning on Monday. So this this weekend coming up, beginning with Thursday, getting to see it with you, it's it it feels sort of epic for me personally. And those of you who are are, are coming on Thursday night, it should be a pretty epic night. Uh, if anyone else wants to join in, you know, run on over to elfanboy.com for details on how you can participate in the uh, the Elfanboy. Uh, what do I call it? The Unite the Fanboys Justice League Watch Party, because I'm such a nerd. <laughs> um, Thursday night here in Queens, you know, please, the more the merrier. We're going to be drinking over at the Forest Hill Station House uh, before and after the movie. If we're going to we're gonna pregame, we're going to postmortem. It's going to be a whole Justice League extravaganza. I plan on taking pictures and doing little live videos to, you know, kind of get everyone involved, including you, Tavo. I know Tavo Borrego would love to be a part of it. But he's not in New York, so he'll have to live vicariously through uh, social media. But um, either way, you know, regardless of how the movie turns out, Thursday is going to be a big night. And I'm just sort of, you know, I'm taking it all in that this this week is a monumental one in terms of it's going to serve as the capper of this chapter in, in my life. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder how, how things are going to be moving forward. Is it all going to be rainbows and butterflies? Because, you know, I, right now there's nothing but reasons to be uh, optimistic about DC's future. So part of me in the back of my head worries, like, are my listeners and my supporters and my readers, are they going to like me if I'm not pissed off about Zack Snyder? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, you know, with him gone and, and with me suddenly having an optimistic outlook, I, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I guess, you know what, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. They have yet to announce who's who's directing Man of Steel 2. For all we know, they're going to hire someone else who pisses me off and I'll have more to scream at you about. But for the time being, you know, the outlook looks pretty rosy. It really does. Um... But all right, so enough of that sort of uh, opening rambling I, I, I just did. Um, let's get into the show. What are t- this week's top stories? This weekend at the box office was certainly an interesting one. Uh, there was a lot of talk about who was going to take second place. It's funny, you know, since, since everyone conceded that, you know, everyone seeded the fact that Thor Ragnarok would be number one no matter what. The big question was really on this week's two new wide releases. That would be Daddy's Home 2 and Murder on the Orient Express. There was a big talk about how Murder on the Orient Express was, was what might edge out 
Daddy's Home 2. It seemed to have a little more buzz coming into its opening weekend. Then there was also the talk about how gentle the, the drop for Thor Ragnarok would be. Yeah, there were a few interesting little subplots, so let's get into this week's top five. So coming in in first place was indeed Marvel's Thor Ragnarok, and it did indeed have a very gentle drop. Remember, <clears throat> it's not uncommon for these kinds of movies to drop anywhere from, you know, 60 to 65 percent in their second weekend, especially when they've had a good weekend, uh, you know, a good opening of, you know, la last week it had it opened up to 122.7. So, you know, it's a, a big drop would have been totally fine and totally expected. Instead, it cooled only 53.5 percent. Now, there had been even rosier predictions earlier in the week. People thought it might only cool 49%, which I was, I was sort of blown away by that. That seems like it would have taken an awful lot for that to be the case. But even still, you know, Sunday night's um, estimates were more like 56.6%. And now that the actuals are in, I'm sorry, on Sunday they were saying that it was going to have made 56.6 million. Now with the actuals in, it's actually more like 57.1. So that 53.5% drop is very, very nice, and it speaks to the positive buzz and the word of mouth. It's going to be very interesting to see what kind of a third weekend it has, considering Justice League is coming out this weekend. And in theory, they should be vying for the same audience. So I, I, I would not be surprised if Ragnarok takes a huge tumble, a, a larger-than-usual third-weekend tumble because it's going up against the mighty Justice League. Now, in second place, you remember the big subplot? Who was going to take it? Who was going to take it? Well, at some point on Friday, they were saying it was going to be Murder on the Orient Express, but now it looks like it's Daddy's Home too. That's right, not by much, mind you, by almost exactly one million bucks. Daddy's Home takes second place with $29.6 million, and Murder on the Orient Express, Express? Express takes third place with $28.6 million. In fourth, there was A Bad Mom's Christmas. In fifth was Jigsaw. So that is your top five. Now we're going to move on. There's so many stories to cover. Let's get into them, shall we? Um... So yesterday, actually, was it? I think it was this morning. News broke that Sam Mendes or Mendes had exited uh, the live-action Disney remake of Pinocchio. Now that's interesting because it, it almost seemingly ties into another big director question mark that's happening right now. Uh, but before I move into that, you know, what do I feel about Mendes exiting Pinocchio? And listen, I'm not particularly invested in any of these Disney live-action films. Uh, I'm probably going to get dragged to go see them because I have two small children, just like I ended up seeing Beauty and the Beast, even though I had no interest in that. But, um, you know, Mendes was always, for me, sort of an odd fit, just like I think Guy Ritchie is an odd fit for this Aladdin movie. To me, there's nothing in Guy Ritchie's resume that screams he's the guy to do uh, Aladdin. And just like there's nothing about Mendes or Mendes. I don't know how the hell to say his name. Uh, there's nothing that, that screams that he's the guy for Pinocchio, especially because you know, if we're, if we're going to look at Beauty and the Beast, that was really just a straight-up adaptation of the cartoon. 
It's not like they gave the director free reign to use his artistic creative license to put a whole new spin on the fairy tale. The guy was basically hamstrung towards, you know, into making a live action version of the cartoon. Yeah, they added a scene here or there and there's a new song and all that crap. But at the end of the day, Beauty and the Beast live action was the same as the damn cartoon. So when I see guys like Guy Ritchie doing Aladdin and Sam Mendes doing Pinocchio, I'm just like, why would you hire these guys who tend to have to want to have more of a say in the final product if you're going to tie them to a particular adaptation. But honestly, where things get interesting with Mendes, 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 um, is, uh, you know, where does he go from here? Now, he's got a couple other things on the, on the horizon, or, you know, like, at some point he had entered early talks towards doing a live-action James and the Giant Peach. Um, but what's interesting now is James Bond's 25th movie, Bond 25, the as-yet- untitled 25th Bond movie, is currently looking for a director. And Mendes, Mendes, did the last two. And, you know, you got to wonder now, with his schedule cleared up, is there a chance he does re-enter the fold and do another 007 movie? I kind of hope he doesn't, because I personally found both of his movies sort of uh, overrated. I was not big on Skyfall, even though everyone else was, and Spectre for me was a total clunker. Um, but what's interesting now is, you know, there's been a lot going on in terms of Bond 25 as of late, too, because people are talking about Denis Villeneuve. Uh, it, there's some recent chatter, thanks to an interview he conducted, that revealed that he at some point had had some conversations about doing the 25th Bond movie. Uh, he said in an interview, you know, the thing is, I don't know about that. But listen, Daniel Craig is a very inspiring actor, and I had some contact, and the thing is that I'm busy right now doing Dune. But I will say to... I will say, to have the privilege to work with him, it would be a dream. I would love to work with Daniel, and a Bond movie for me would be a treat. It's a matter of timing, I guess. So, yeah, it's kind of a loaded quote, but basically, he'd love to direct Craig. He confirms that he's had conversations about doing Bond 25, but that right now, Dune is his primary concern. And it's funny, at first, my mind went, no. No, I, and listen, I love Denis Villeneuve. Anyone who, who's been following this show knows I'm a huge, huge Villeneuve fan. But my initial gut instinct was, why would you want him for Bond? He's known for doing, especially lately, these sort of slow, sort of plodding movies. You know, I loved Arrival. I loved Blade Runner 2049. But the Bond series is more of like an action series, and you want someone who could, who could deliver big screen thrills and a good popcorn movie with, of course, you know, some, some food for the soul, but it's mainly, you know, an action movie. So to me, it felt all wrong, but then I thought about it a little more, and I'm like, you know what? He did make Sicario. And Sicario, to me, me it kind of, I, I could see how Daniel Craig would see some appeal in that. Because Sicario found a way to sort of weave, you know, real life sort of geopolitics and interesting characters, and it had something to say, and the action was hard hitting, and you know, like I, I could totally see why Daniel Craig would want him. And by the way, I think Craig is behind all of this. I have a feeling, you know, Craig had a foot out the door 
uh, I don't know, a year or two ago now. And I think the only way he agreed to do this was if he had director approval. And if you look at you know these names, if you look at that name, Denis Villeneuve, you almost gotta feel like it's Craig who's saying, "Listen, I will do this movie, but I need, I want a serious director. I want someone who I respect and admire and who I trust to make this. That's the only way I'll make the next one." And of course, the studio was like, "Sure, Mr. Craig, whatever you want." So I feel like a lot of this Villeneuve chatter or whatever, and the fact that Villeneuve's comments center on working with Craig, I have a feeling it's Daniel Craig, James Bond himself, trying to pull the, you know, trying to pull the strings and line up a director of that caliber for this movie, which I have no issue with, by the way. If that's what it takes for him to make another one and kind of go off on a high note, by all means. Am I personally ready for a new take on Bond? Absolutely. I've, I, you know, I, I adored Casino Royale, but for me, it's sort of been all downhill since then. So I'm ready for a new take, but as long as he's here, if he wants to have a say in who's directing it, then bring it on, okay? Um, now, while we're talking about directors... There's also some new information about Quentin Tarantino, another absolute favorite of mine, who I think is sort of like the voice of a generation. Um, you know, he, his new movie is in a bit of a state of flux. For the first time ever, uh, he will not be associating with the Weinstein brothers. Remember, he, his relationship with the Weinsteins goes back very far, it goes back to the Miramax days. And then when they formed the Weinstein Company, he went over and did the Weinstein Company. You know, he used them for his last few movies. So now he's he's disassociated himself from the Weinstein Company for obvious reasons. And now he's been basically sort of shopping his next project to other companies, you know, including Disney and, and, and its Touchstone Pictures subsidiary and... What's interesting is everyone kind of thought they had the next Tarantino movie pegged. They thought, okay, it's apparently about the Manson family murders. But as it turns out, it's not going to be straight up about Charles Manson and not straight up about the Manson family murders. It seems like that's going to be one of the topics covered. It's going to be a sort of multi-narrative movie. Kind of, It sounds to me almost like Pulp Fiction where there's going to be a bunch of different things going on that perhaps all come together in the end. Um, you know, listening, you know, he's tack he's looking to tackle that like that that era then, and uh, the Manson family is just sort of part of what's going to be covered. It's not going to be a Charles Manson movie per se. Uh, as of now, rumored to be part of the cast is Margot Robbie as uh, actress Sharon Tate. There's talk of Jennifer Lawrence being involved, Brad Pitt, of course, Samuel L. Jackson, Leonardo DiCaprio maybe returning to the realm of Tarantino after he did such a great job in uh, Django Unchained. And then there were those rumors a few months back about Jared Leto playing Manson himself, although at the time it was unclear if he was, was going to be playing Manson in Tarantino's movie or if he was going to be playing Manson in some separate unrelated film. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm definitely intrigued. It's Tarantino. It's Brad Pitt, Jennifer Lawrence, Margot Robbie. If he can get DiCaprio and Leto in there, like, holy hell, bring it on. I am ready. Uh, something else I'm ready for from another epic director is The Irishman. Now, there's a new report going around that Martin Scorsese's The Irishman is going to be... Uh, 
It's not going to be released exactly the way you'd think because we know that Netflix made a deal and they're and they they're providing a budget of like 125 million dollars to make this movie with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and it's this big prestigious Netflix project. But people had initially assumed that it was going to get a theatrical run and then end up exclusively on Netflix. But now according to Variety, Netflix is not entirely committing to the idea of putting The Irishman in theaters. You know, the, their publicity agent, uh, you know, Julie Fontaine, told Variety that it's premature to say anything concrete about the distribution plans for the film. Um, and you know what? I'm kind of fine with that. If they're investing all this money, why dilute it? I feel like whenever they do these limited theatrical runs and then it comes to Netflix, it almost sends a weird mixed signal. It sends the signal that like, yeah, yeah, this is a movie that was in theaters, but it wasn't there long. And now you got to watch it on Netflix. And it's like, a, you know, it almost seems like almost like the film might have been a, a failure. And that's how it ended up on Netflix so quickly. If you build the network around the idea that you're going to get to see the world premiere of Martin Scorsese's next movie with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in it, and you can only see it on Netflix now it's a true event. It makes Netflix prestigious. It gets people talking. It's going to create buzz. It's going to be a whole thing. So if I'm them, I don't do the theatrical release. I say we're going to make this a Netflix movie. Just like when when HBO got, you know, Matt Damon and Michael Douglas to do that um that movie Behind the Candelabra, you know, like you got these prestigious actors you have a uh, uh, subject matter that people are interested in. Let them have to come to you to see it on your network. And HBO has been doing that stuff for years where they make these good, prestigious movies with great casts. And the only place you could see them was on HBO. They don't dilute it by putting it in theaters for a couple of weeks just for the hell of it. Now, I know the studios tend to do that for the sake of awards contention, because if you want the movie to potentially be up for Golden Globes and be up for, uh, you know, the Oscars and all that sort of stuff, it's got to have run in theaters. But I don't think uh, Scorsese cares about that anymore. He got his Oscar. He's good. He just wants the movie to be seen. And he's someone who, after his last movie, could really use a lot of positive buzz and excitement around his movie. So... I'm kind of glad if it becomes just exclusively a Netflix event and doesn't go to theaters. I don't know if that's a popular opinion or not, but that's just kind of my take on it. Um, now, sort of shifting gears a little bit, there's a bunch of sort of like Spider-Man stuff to cover this week. You know, everything from from another you know confirmation of another spinoff to some bochincha that I got for you from a, from a fellow journalist. So, look, they announced Sony Pictures is apparently developing a movie on Morbius, the living vampire. Uh, and everything about this movie sounds as awful as what I just said. The fact that they're even making that movie, which is incredibly stupid. Um, right now, it's being written by the scripting team of Burke Sharpless and Matt Sazama whose feature credits include the Power Rangers reboot from earlier this year, Gods of Egypt, yikes, Dracula Untold, oh, God, and Vin Diesel's The Last Witch Hunter. 
So, yeah, that's quite a pedigree, huh? You get a couple of writers who made a bunch of movies no one wanted to see about a character no one gives a shit about. Congratulations, Sony. You are so good at this. Um, ugh. So, yeah, that's my take on that little bit of news about a Morbius movie. No, thank you. But what I am far more interested in in the, in the world of Spider-Man is, uh, you know, a friend of mine. You know, I can't say personal friend because we've never met in real life, but we've, we've had a lot of great conversations, uh, direct, private conversations. His name is Mark Hughes. Uh, he writes for Forbes. And he, he dropped this interesting little tidbit in a recent piece. The Disney-Sony deal for Spider-Man will, quote-unquote, eventually see the wall crawler fully return to Marvel, whether or not Disney buys Sony entirely. So let's chew on that for a second. All this time, the, uh, the idea has been that Marvel and Sony are having like a partnership. They're going to share Spider-Man. But you know what? Eventually, Spider-Man is probably just going to stay at Sony once Marvel has rehabilitated his image. But now it looks like, according to Hughes, he seems to think that it's going to go the other way. That for right now, they're borrowing him, but ultimately, Sony is going to relinquish Spider-Man fully to Marvel, fully to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then they will have nothing to do with Spider-Man after a while. And, maybe, and, they'll, and they'll make money on the back end, on merchandising or, or something along those lines. You know, They'll work out some sort of deal so they still make some money off him, but ultimately, he will really just be a full-on MCU property. Uh, that would be a bit of a dream come true, because as it stands, it's this, you know, the character is in this weird sort of limbo, right? He's in a weird sort of limbo where you want to be excited about him, but then you hear Sony's making these other movies about Venom and about Morbius that may or may not be connected, and you start worrying, like, geez, the people in charge of the Spider-Man universe at Sony don't seem to have any fucking clue what they're doing. So I kind of hope they don't get Spider-Man back. You know, that's been my fear all this time, that they were going to use Marvel Studios to essentially reestablish Spider-Man as one of the big evergreen properties in Hollywood and then say, okay, thanks for all your help. Now he's ours again to, for us to go back to making shitty decisions with him. If it's true that Marvel is going to get Spider-Man on, you know, back full on, uh, count me in. I hope it happens. Lord knows Disney has enough money to make that deal happen. I mean, they almost bought Fox last week, and they may still. These guys have so much money that I'm sure they could make Sony an offer they can't refuse, if you know what I mean. So here's hoping that comes to fruition. That's a little bit of Spider-Man bochinche, courtesy of Mr. Mark Hughes for you. Uh, there's also some interesting news this week about Halloween. Uh, you know, I've been following this, this next Halloween movie for a while, and there's some fresh quotes from Danny McBride, who is helping sort of shepherd the thing and write it, and he's involved as a producer. And, um, you know, it's funny. He said, I just hope that we don't fuck it up and piss people off. This is what he told Yahoo. He said, this is such a diehard fan base. You don't want horror fans being your enemies because they show up at your house with masks on. Uh, then he kind of lumps himself in with the diehard fans. You know, he says him and the director, he says, we are diehard fans of Halloween. We're watching all the sequels 
and where things have taken left turns and there that maybe bites for fans and at least trying to deliver what we would have wanted to see. Hopefully that will line up with most fans. Um, he also says that, you know, because he knows that people are sort of uh, skeptical about two guys who are mainly known for comedies like the Pineapple Express and Your Highness and Vice Principals suddenly taking on a, a horror classic. Are they going to turn it into a joke or into a spoof? And McBride said, no, I, you know, I think you should be very scared. I mean, this isn't a comedy at all. I think there was like maybe one joke on the page, but the rest is straight horror. So hopefully it gets in people's heads and keeps them up late at night. And you know what? I got to say, I actually trust people with a comedic background doing horror because comedians have an innate sense for when they've worn out their welcome. They have to be so connected to their audience because so much about comedy is about rhythm. It's about timing. It's about getting in, getting out, anticipating where you're losing them. You know, comedy is very, very tricky work. And I feel like the psychology behind comedy and the psychology behind a horror movie can and should be somewhat similar. It's because it's all about the timing and the pacing and trying to stay one step ahead of your audience and knowing when it's time to kind of, okay, I've had my big line and now it's time to, for me to end on a high note. You know, Seinfeld used to talk about that. All comedians know that you have to try to end big and know and never, ever overstay your welcome or beat something to death like I'm doing right now with this point. Uh, I'm not a comedian. So... You know, I, I actually trust them. I feel like they understand intrinsically how to tell a story, keep it lean and mean, and and actually make it scary and make it tense because they're not going to bloat the damn thing. So I'm very excited about that. Um, and it's also interesting, too, that, you know, there's a lot going on with the Halloween timeline, more than I had even sort of, like, realized. You know, there are really, like, like five different timelines that have been explored in the movies because, you know, with Halloween's four, five and six and all that, you know, the curse of Michael Myers and everything, you know, they basically, those attempted to pick up from the primary timeline, but then there was Halloween H2O, which sort of erased the events of those later sequels, creating like a third timeline. Then there's the Rob Zombie, movies, which made two films and a sort of remake universe, creating a fourth timeline. And now this one is going to attempt to go back to the original, even though people have already seen Laurie Strode die in another timeline. So they're going to have Jamie Lee Curtis back alive. So this stuff might get confusing for mainstream and casual cinema goers. So you know, that, that is sort of an uphill battle. And I am curious to see how they navigate all that in terms of promoting the film, in terms of how the trailers are cut and edited. How are they going to address the fact that you essentially have to ignore everything? You have to ignore everything since the first Halloween. Um, that's going to be an interesting thing to tackle. I do not envy them for having to tackle that. But I do believe in these guys. I think they're going to turn in a fairly exciting Halloween movie. Um, now we're going to switch over to the gaming world a little bit because there's going to be a Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, that's like a merging of two of my favorite things. 
I love Nintendo. I love Super Mario. I love movies. And, you know, a little while ago, I want to say about a year and a half, two years ago, there was an announcement that Nintendo was looking to get into movies. After having been burnt very badly uh, in, the, uh, in the early 90s with that Super Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo, it looks like they are at last ready to return to the cinema. So everyone was wondering, who are they going to make a deal with? What, what are these movies going to look like? What's the deal? Well, it looks like we're going to get an animated Super Mario movie done in conjunction with Illumination Entertainment and Universal Pictures. Uh, this is being reported on by Wall Street Journal, but apparently you know, Nintendo was closing in on a massive deal with Universal to do that. And you know what? Honestly, it does make perfect sense. It makes perfect sense when you consider the fact that they've already, like, they're already dealing with Universal. There's going to be a whole sort of Nintendo sort of um, amusement theme park joining the Universal Studios theme park in in Orlando. They're going to be building it as part of that. So they're already sort of in bed with Universal. So the idea of just sticking with them and using Illumination Entertainment to make an animated Super Mario Brothers movie sounds pretty sweet. Um, so, you know, honestly, you know, in the past I've kicked around, like I kind of wished that they would work with Disney. I would love to see like a Pixar Super Mario Brothers movie that really sort of, you know, kicks the whole world around and, and kind of adds new layers to it. But you know what? I could totally see Illumination, you know, doing a good job with, with Super Mario Brothers. So that's, uh, that, that is some late breaking news that I thought you guys would find interesting. And now as we get ready for me to bring on Mr. Rick Shu from Batman on Film. We have some DC tidbits to talk about as a proper segue into that. So, you know, Ray Fisher's out there doing promotion for Justice League, and naturally people are asking him about what he'd like to see happen with his Cyborg movie, a Cyborg movie that I still maintain will never happen. Uh, here's what he said uh, in terms of the villains he would like to see in this movie that's ever happening. He said, <clears throat> with this kind of story, I'd love to see it be a little bit more intimate, a little bit more specific to Cyborg. There is a sort of Cyborg special that they had done years ago where he fights a group called Phantom Limbs, which is this mercenary group of cybernetically enhanced individuals who are very much like him. I think seeing him take on people who have similar abilities but are a much more finely tuned group of warriors, seeing how that would all turn out, I think it would be really special. So Mr. Fisher would love to see Cyborg versus the Phantom Limbs in his movie. Uh, That's all well and good. But, you know, we're never going to see that movie. Moving right along. um, Now, once again... We are in this weird realm where Affleck is up in the air in terms of his future. Now, I do tackle that in my conversation with Rick Shu, but there's one aspect that I don't. Even the producer, Charles Roven, whose job is basically, you know, to go out there and do PR and, and make everything seem like everything is smooth sailing. Even he has added fuel to this fire now. When asked about whether or not Ben Affleck will appear in the Matt Reeves, the Batman movie, he wouldn't confirm or deny. All he says is, from everything I know, he's going to play Batman. They're retooling the script, so I can't really say 
anything for certain. Oh, goodness, here we go again with this. I can't really say anything for certain. And from everything I know, just say yes or no. All this back and forth is so goddamn exhausting. And you're killing your fan base. People are getting, you know, this morning I finally saw people who were adamantly saying that we're all on crack for saying that Affleck is leaving. Finally accepting the fact that it looks like he's heading out and don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you because people are getting tired of all this back and forth. Um... It's just, it's unbelievable. And, and, and the reason this is a big deal for even Roven to be talking about how, how quote-unquote, not certain things are right now is because this is a guy who has to put a shine on everything. You know, he's also been, he, he's out there downplaying how extensive the reshoots are. You know, people asked him if he had to quantify how much of Justice League is Joss Whedon and how much is Zack Snyder, You know, he says, well, I'll read you the whole quote. He says, uh, in terms of the whole reshoot process and everything, he says, the goal is to make sure when you're watching the movie, it all feels cohesive. That imprint that Joss had, some aspect of it is going to come out in the direction, but the actors are already pretty much down the road on their arcs. Let's just say 80, 85% of the movie is what was originally shot, a.k.a. Snyder. There's only so much you can do with other 15, 20% of the movie. So right there he's saying that Wheaton is only really responsible for 15 to 20% of the movie. And again, he has to do this sort of stuff. He can't really admit how much of an overhaul took place because that wouldn't bode well. It wouldn't look good. It would not help sell the movie. And you wouldn't want to do that to Snyder. You know, Zack Snyder, for better or worse, no matter what you think of him, he's been a good soldier for Warner Brothers. He's been an amazing team player, very similar to Gareth Edwards with Rogue One, where the studio essentially took the movie out of his hands and Edwards decided, you know what, okay, fine, do what you got to do, reshape the movie Tweak my vision all you want. This is more of a team effort. It's not my movie. It's our movie. And Snyder seems to be doing the same thing. He stepped away when he stepped away. He has stayed out of Joss Whedon's lack of hair. He stayed out of Warner Brothers and all the tinkering that they've been doing and DC Entertainment and Jeff Johns and all that sort of stuff. He understands that these characters and these movies are sort of bigger than him. So he's been a good soldier. So, you know, you, if you're Charles Roven, if you're anyone in a, in a position of authority who's out there selling this movie, of course you're going to downplay how much of what's in the final cut is Whedon's. And that's totally cool. I, I have no qualms about that. Um, to me, it's just interesting for Roven, who in general is like, you know, he's out there selling this thing. If even he is saying that he can't say anything for certain regarding Affleck's future as Batman, that says a lot. And I cannot wait to finally get some goddamn motherfucking resolution on this because I am tired of talking about Ben Affleck's future as Batman. Let's just put this to rest already. Either you're in or you're out. (sighs) And last thing before we get into Rick's shoe, there was this really stupid controversy about the costumes for the Amazons, 
Right now, everyone's on some sort of crusade to point fingers at everyone and say that they're misogynists and they're anti-woman and they're this and they're that. And they're coming after Zack Snyder because of the costumes that he he put the Amazons in for Justice League and how seemingly much more revealing they are. And it sounds like it, they're trying to point a finger at him like he's trying to turn women into sexual objects and it's demeaning because in Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman movie, they were better covered and they're trying to say that Zack Snyder is basically like a pig. And it's just ridiculous. It's a nothing burger. Let's... Can we just, he always fetishizes the human body, whether it's male, whether it's female. Did you see 300? Have you seen all the loving close-ups of Ben Affleck without his shirt and Batman v Superman? Did you see Henry Cavill running around topless in all the different times that we've focused on his killer abs and pecs? Zack Snyder in general is a fitness guru and he likes his main characters to look like chiseled Greek gods. That's just how he is. This isn't an anti-woman thing. This isn't an over-sexualization thing. That's just his visual style. He likes everyone looking like some type of Adonis. But um, USA Today recently caught up with one of the actresses who's who plays an Amazon. Her name is Brooke Entz. She's a CrossFit champion. And she just, she says it didn't bother her at all, the new costumes. She said, you know, and I quote, didn't bother me at all. The girls on set never thought of the new costumes as a quote unquote sexy version. She said, I'm an athlete first, right? Usually I can't wear anything without someone commenting about my muscular body. So for me, it was actually really cool to be able to show it and not immediately feel masculine, but still feel very feminine. So she, you know, she came out in, in support of Snyder and says that, you know, essentially this is not, she didn't feel like an object to over-sexualize. If anything, it made her feel like a strong woman. What a thought. So just, I, I just, that was such a nothing burger, that story. And I'm getting so tired of, of this sort of witch hunt. And listen, I'm, not, I'm usually the last person to defend Zack Snyder. But in this particular case, this is just ridiculous. And you know what else is ridiculous? Rotten Tomatoes. They announced yesterday that they're going to be delaying the aggregate score for Justice League until their little YouTube show that goes up, I believe, tomorrow. And it's it's ridiculous. Or it either goes up tomorrow or Thursday. And they're delaying it. They want you to see the show for the big reveal. And honestly, I think it's going to backfire. It's going to backfire for the brand and how people view Rotten Tomatoes because it's just way too self-important. With all the hate going around about Rotten Tomatoes and how toxic people view that brand, with even Martin Scorsese speaking out against it, this was a time for the people who run that site to show humility. This was a time to say, hey, don't blame us. We don't write the reviews. We don't create the buzz or the negative press. All we do is pull it all together for you. So you have one neat, concise place to see what everyone's saying. That should have been their messaging during this time. Instead, they're pulling this stunt, and all it does is make them look like they take themselves way too seriously. And like they actually are trying to take control of the conversation about uh, uh, over particular movies. It's just a stupid move. Whoever okayed this idea, may they get fired tomorrow. 
I have a feeling that this whole thing with them delaying the score reveal and trying to build anticipation for their stupid YouTube show, I think it's a ridiculously tone-deaf move by Rotten Tomatoes, and I hope it blows up in their face. But now, it's time to bring on the man of the hour, Mr. Rick Shue. Now, as I've teased and as I've mentioned earlier on in this episode, as part of this week's monumental Justice League episode of the El Fanboy Podcast, I am delighted to bring on the one and only Rick Shu, the co-host of the Batman on Film Podcast and a frequent uh, friend of mine there on, over on the Twitter. We've gotten into some very, very interesting conversations and we've battled some damn trolls online together. And now I get you on the show. How are you, Rick? I'm doing great. It's it's been fun battling trolls with you, my friend. It's oh. uh, so it's always uh, refreshing to have like a a comrade to fight by your side. Yeah, I feel like you and I. I mean, <laughs> it's probably to the detriment of our own sanity that we actually roll up our sleeves and get in the mud with some of these people. We probably should be above this stuff, but no, I just... <laughs> you're you're absolutely right, and uh, I can speak for myself, and I think I've noticed it with you as well as I've been less and less engaged with Mm -hmm. these people over the last couple of months. I've learned to blocking is one thing, but muting is really awesome because I like people screaming into the void they think they're yelling at you and there's just nothing there. Yep. That is my absolute favorite now too. I don't, I I haven't blocked anyone in ages. I'm all about the muting, the letting you scream into the void, just as you said. So yes, sir. All right. Now it's funny because initially when I, when I sort of quote unquote booked you for this, it was mainly to have like a preview conversation about Justice League because you were going to be seeing it tonight after we recorded but then through some wonderful happenstance you actually wound up seeing it last night didn't you I did I sure did I emailed they there was a uh, I don't call it a surprise there was a last minute add-on for press screenings in Dallas Uh, I'm in Dallas Texas on for Monday night. And I found out about it on Friday. I emailed the agency that, that books these things for us and just said, Hey, anyway, you can slide me over to that Monday. Yeah. And, uh, I, I got a call yesterday morning saying you're good to go. So that was great. That's awesome. Now look, I know you, you know, I don't want you to sort of go, you know, I know you're going to save your most in-depth stuff for your podcast and that's fine. Cause I, I, I kind of want to keep things sort of on the surface, sort of non-spoiler today for my listeners. You know, everyone's going to get to see it later this week and I tend to be very sensitive about spoilers the first week of a film's arrival so mm-hmm. just sort of on the surface what did you think of Justice League well I'll say this so I've um, I can't go into specifics or detail but I have known the the story for for quite some time and so I was really curious to see all right so how does X Y and Z scene play out yeah. and so I was excited to see that I was excited to see some scenes that I thought uh, were, were, were interesting to see if it was going to be executed properly. And then some scenes I thought, Oh, is this going to work? Because sometimes on, as you know, the written word is one thing, but mm-hmm. a good, good cast and a smart director can make that dialogue work. You know, it can yeah. work. And so that was the, the most fun I had going into it. So I was doing that. So it was kind of an unusual watching experience in that regard. So, uh, I would say that because I knew the story, I knew what to expect Um, So there wasn't a lot of surprises there, although there were a handful and I was very appreciative of those. But I my overall feeling as I walked out, I said, 
it could have been a lot worse. Um, there was a, a lot of things about it that that were a lot of fun. There was some great chemistry. There was some really great character moments, some great scenes with, with some of these characters that we all love. If you're a DC fan, particularly Batman and Superman for me. Nice. And, uh, so I, 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 there's, that's very, that was very fulfilling. Now there's a lot of issues with this movie. It is uh, to just say it's far from perfect is, uh, and, and I don't mean to, I was about to say that sounds lazy because a lot of people are saying it, but yeah. a lot of people can't, to be fair, we're all under embargo too. So they can't really go into what they mean by that, nor really can I, but I'll just say that the um, the villain and everything that surrounds that subplot is uh, is bad. I mean, I don't <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how to like politely say it. It's it's like inexcusably bad. Yeah, I, I kind of love that little pregnant pause there, as you were maybe trying to find a slightly more uh, analytical term for it, and you just ended with bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know. I was I was thinking, you know, let me let me really dig deep in my vocabulary. You know what? No, it's just bad. How's bad that? Is I'm gonna bad go, is bad. Yeah. I'm going to go I'm going to go second grade here and just call a spade a spade. <laughs> now, so. you know, it's funny that you referred to the unusual watching experience because I actually said a couple of months ago, it's funny, like this is going to be a movie that demands multiple viewings, not because it's necessarily going to be so good or so bad, but because there's so much baggage and there's been so much stuff that's been reported and so many different things that we've all read and heard about and whispers that, you know, like we're going to have to watch it the first time, like with a clipboard, kind of like how you had to do running down a checklist of was this in there? How did this pan out? Oh, I reported on this. How did that go? Blah, 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 blah. And then maybe watch it a second time to then maybe just be able to enjoy it as an audience member. So hearing you talk about the unusual watch experience, it sounds like, you know, you're kind of in that boat. We're like, you're probably going to need to see it an additional time just to be able to like, okay, now everything I've, I've checked all the different boxes on that clipboard and now I can try to just enjoy it for what it actually is. Absolutely. And I would make the worst like official real film critic, although I do write reviews for BOF and BOF reviews are legitimate. But I think they're more legitimate, truly, when they come from from Bill himself, yeah. uh, as far as, as representing us as our official review. I hear you. But but uh, the reason I would I, I make a terrible critic is because I, I am I'll, I'll walk out of a movie and hate it and love it the third time I see it. I'll walk <laughs> out of a movie and love it and dislike it by the third time I see it. So yeah. I, I want to write a review like, can I be the critic that writes? like the year retrospective reviews of a film. I would be really good at that. After yeah. I've seen it 20 times, I've slept on it. I've had another kid. I've whatever. Right? Like yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I want to be that guy. I don't know if there's a gig for that, but well, that's kind of the thing for art, isn't it too? A lot of times, you know, we ingest and digest pieces of art very differently depending on where we're at in our lives. Right. And depending on what expectations we bring to it, depending on how we're feeling that day. Sometimes, you know, you could just be in a certain kind of mood where a certain kind of movie just rubs you the wrong way, and then you see it again a few months later, and it's exactly what you needed that day. So it, it is interesting how, like, we have this conception of reviews are final, and once, you know, a, you know, a, a revered critic puts in their, their review, that's it. That is the final word. But I don't think anyone ever actually stays 100% locked into their initial opinion. Yeah, that's why you. No, I. You go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was I was just going to echo that. I 100 percent agree, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you say that it is a sort of a snapshot in time and how you feel about that film. 
even even the greats like the late Roger Ebert, surely, you know, he reviewed films and years yeah. later said, you know, I feel differently about those films, better or worse, indifferent, whatever. But still, yeah. they felt differently. And lots of films but, but, like go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I feel like we're both very excitable guys, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like it, I, like in recent months too, I've been looking into some of the big classics and how how they were initially sort of received and how they would go on to be received. And even films like Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock, even uh, The Exorcist, even Blade Runner, all like initially were met with certain kinds of opinions. And then as time wore on and with the benefit of perspective, you know, people went back and they sort of second thought themselves because they were looking at it from a particular, you know, angle and then it's funny like now these things are all-time classics but at the time they were sort of laughed out of the theater or there was a lot of derision towards them so it really it is something to see how 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 our views can really evolve it's very well said i think also of something like empire strikes back critics weren't crazy about that film when it first came out oh. and it's it's hard it's hard to think about that because i think it's empirically the best star wars absolutely 100 percent. right I, I don't think there's a lot of people that disagree with that but uh if they do great you know but i'm just saying <laughs> that i think just i think the common knowledge is like empire and then from there it's all debatable but let's all face it empire is the best but anyway critics didn't like it out of the gate so you're absolutely right but so for me i'm i'm i'll see it again i'll see justice league again on saturday down in austin for our uh, uh, one of our official we have blf watch parties really all over the country yeah um but uh we're having one in austin that bill and i will actually both be at and i'm i'm very very excited to see it again i'm just i'm excited to just just, just sit down and just like you said earlier, just zone out a little more and just watch it. Just yeah. enjoy the just enjoy the film. And there's much to enjoy, man. I'm I'm excited to see. Here's the good news: the stuff I know I don't like. It's that stuff's not changing in this film. Yeah. So un, unlike certain things in other films that could grow on you or work, there's no way that Steppenwolf and Parademons and all that's going to. I'm, I'm not going to evolve with that opinion. With that yeah. said, the stuff that I like. I think I may even love more when I see it again because I found myself – I woke up this morning going, I'm actually more excited to see the stuff that I liked than I am apprehensive about having to sit through the stuff I didn't like again. And that's yeah. a good sign. Yeah. So it sounds like the pleasant surprises are extremely pleasant. It's – look, I'm a big fan. I have – uh, mixed opinions of this DCEU as it stands uh, yeah. as a life as a lifelong DC fan, particularly Batman and my whole war cry and uh, BLF gets kicked around a lot uh, because we are. Uh, and I don't I'm, when I say we're honest, I'm not implying that other sites are dishonest. Uh, what I'm saying is that we're opinionated. And but at the end of the day, what we want is Batman is like I know this sounds cheesy, but I'm being serious. He's like one of my best friends in the whole world. Mm. OK, and. When I don't like how my best friend's being represented on film, I'm yeah. going to speak up mm -hmm. or or in comics or in animation. I think The Killing Joke is still one of my favorite standalone Batman stories. It's just I, it's it's the ultimate Joker badassery. Yeah. And the animated animated film that came out last year was garbage. And I can't pretend like that was a that was good just because yeah. it's the killing killing joke in Batman. And so that's kind of where I stand with all this is like. I just I have high standards for Batman and I'm sorry I have higher standards for Batman and yeah than I do for for Marvel characters like it's it's you know Tony Stark will I'll 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 be it's much easier to please me in an Iron Man film than it is a Batman film because it's just I grade them differently. Yeah. So my whole thing here is that if I break down the DCU, right? 
Like I, I really like Man of Steel, although some of the issues that I have with it, I think you have as well. I watched your video. I agree with a lot of it. I, I, uh, but I still, I still think it's a great Superman story. Yeah. And I, I, and I really want to see a proper sequel to that because I think Cavill deserves it. And Mm -hmm. I think the story deserves it. Uh, BVS is a mixed bag for me. Um, yeah, it was a film. It was a film that I loved. Well, not loved, but I liked a lot when I came out of it. And then as time went on, I was like, oh, man, this is morose, depressing. Superman is cheated in this film, in my view. Yeah, I'm just uh, it's dragging me down. Suicide Squad. Eh, it's OK. It's 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 watchable under some great moments. Wonder Woman is a A plus. I mean, just they knocked mm-hmm. that out of the park. Oh, yeah. Addie Jenkins hit a home run. And then I get to Justice League and where Justice League stands in, it, in all this with me is the things that didn't work about BBS work in Justice League. Okay. But um but it's but it, it also has some of the same issues. Yeah. Um, Doomsday and Steppenwolf are, you know, one has a better vocabulary, but in terms of the CGI and the uh, and everything, it's kind of, you know, similar in terms of my distaste for them. But yeah. But there's a but but here's the thing. This is where Snyder just hits a home run. I'm bringing this full circle. Okay. Is the cat is the cast. Ah, I yes. think that he has. I think he has cast these films almost perfectly. I absolutely love the cast of justice league and I'm excited. Jason Momoa stole the show for me, sir. And I, he just did. And I was nervous that some of that, uh, Hey, 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 James Hetfield, yeah, yeah, Metallica yeah. surfer, surfer dude stuff. I <laughs> thought, I thought that was going to be overplayed when my man, fact it was. my man, uh, when in fact it wasn't, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to ruin anything, but even the scene where he walks up on the rooftop, he says, dress like a bat. I dig it. I thought that was cheesy. Honestly, that's actually a payoff of a setup. And nice. so you'll know it when you see, you'll know it when you see it. And it's like freaking awesome, you know? And yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. it's amazing. Those, yeah. Like certain things in context is like, oh, wow. Yes. So you know what? I get it now. <laughs> yes, it was. And it, I go, ah, I see. And I, and I didn't had connected those dots when yeah. I had, uh, anyway, anyway, but neither, neither here or there, but it, there's, so there's. The cast makes this film f- fun and, and yeah. enjoyable to watch. Awesome, you know and that's I, real. I think I think we're going to become best friends. I think it's happening right now because you so far you've said so many things that I also just intrinsically feel. I, I feel like we just were on a lot on the same wavelength. But the way you are about Batman, I am about Superman. Because the way you refer to him as like your best friend, that's how I feel about Kal El. That's how I feel about the last son of uh, of Krypton. And when I when I rant and rave about him, it comes from a place of love, and it comes from a place of of you know expecting more and and feeling like a real kinship. Even though it's a fictional character, this fictional character has been there for me for years since I was a little boy. I've idolized and looked up to Superman. So hearing what you just had to. Say, Say about Batman, it, it brought it brought like an old analogy to my you know to, to mind that I've, I've I've always said you know people who 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 get mad when people like you or I critique the DCEU because they, you know they feel like we should just have some blind allegiance to the brand to the letters D and C and we just have to love everything they throw at us. I always point out that in real life you are harder on a best friend than you are on an acquaintance. If an acquaintance, you, if you see an acquaintance doing something stupid or wronging you in some way, you kind of shrug it off because they don't really matter to you. 
When a best friend screws up, that's when you go off. And that's when you have to, you have a lot to say and you try to, you know, get in front of them and and we're going to have an intervention and try to fix this because you are invested. They mean something to you. And I always say that for me personally, when people are like, well, why aren't you this critical of a Marvel movie? Because I don't really care. I enjoy yeah. Iron Man and like you said, Tony Stark and, you know, and I, I have a warmth and a fondness for, for Captain America and, you know, and I, in general, I enjoy the Marvel movies. They're, to me, they're, they're fine and I, I have a decent time, but if one of them misfires, I, I don't take it personally because I'm like, all right, I wasn't, you know, this isn't my thing anyway. When DC right. misfires, it feels personal. You know, maybe that's mm-hmm. irrational, but that's my, I've always kind of thought of that, that we, you know, in general, in real life, you're harder on a best friend than you are on just like, you know, a coworker or a casual acquaintance. And I think that sort of thing applies directly to, to how we respond whenever DC pisses us off. I love that analogy, man. That's great. I, I love it. So yeah, and and it, the you know Tony Stark and Peter Parker and those are acquaintances. Yeah, Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent. Those mm-hmm. those are like those are family members, right? And so yeah. it's it's just it's going to be a little harder. You know, I get uh, I often get accused, and it makes me laugh because people will say I'm a, I'm a Nolanite. I'm like really because I don't even like half of Chris Nolan movies. To be honest <laughs> with you, that's funny that you say that because I really don't. I, I yeah. like his dark. I like his Dark Knight trilogy. I love the Dark Knight trilogy, and I love Memento. Everything else is eh, it's okay. I can take it or leave it. But um, yeah. so I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So that's always always laugh at that. I'm like, really? You you don't really know me then. People but, love uh, to put people in boxes. People love to go. Well, you disagree with me, so it must be because of X Y Z, not because you actually just didn't like what I liked. Because I'll, I'll break ridiculous. it down. Yeah, I, absolutely. I'll, I'll break it down like this. If you talk about Batman on film, I don't mean us, but I mean yeah. Batman in cinema. Yeah. Right. Batman 89 is a classic. I love it. I love everything about it. And I don't even want to I don't even want to debate the flaws because I don't care. I love it anyway. Uh, I think Batman Returns is borderline garbage. I think Batman Forever is goofy. And I think Batman and Robin's not even really dignified. You can't even dignify that film. <laughs> So so let's break it down. Let's let's get into before the Dark Knight trilogy. Okay. There's one one out of four f- of those films I love. Uh, not loving Tim Burton's sequel and not liking the Joe Schumacher films does does it make me a, a Batman hater? And it doesn't make me a, a yeah. Burtonite because I don't even like Batman Returns. So yeah. like yeah, that yeah, makes yeah, yeah. right, right, right. And then for me, no one just hit I mean, he just told in his and it's in a vacuum, and that's also what I love about it, but he told a great Bruce Wayne's story. I was, I'm glad it ended. It had a definitive ending. It's in a vacuum. It's sealed. It's up on my shelves and I will always revisit it, but it's, it's in the past. That is a middle beginning and end and it's over. And I am anxious and ready for new filmmakers to bring us uh, a great Batman film. And Snyder just, just for me, didn't, hasn't done that. I am super stoked for Matt Reeves solo Batman film. And I, I, I don't, I seriously doubt Affleck's going to star in it, but that that's opening up a can of worms. that could be another yeah. separate podcast, <laughs> but regardless of Affleck is there or not, um, I am so excited for that. Fil- I can't even tell you how excited I am for that film. Like I'm ready for a Matt Reeves Batman. For and I sure. think Matt Reeves is going to bring us something as beautiful as the dark Knight. I really do. It's going to be different and that's okay, but yeah. it's going to be, I think just as epic. Yeah, uh, well, okay. So, uh, first of all, I agree with all that. Uh, But while we're talking about epic, and while you mentioned Nolan's trilogy having a beginning, middle, and end, something I'm mulling over a video essay on, and something that I think you'll find interesting, 
is the sort of like bizarre history that brought us to Justice League and all the different twists and turns behind the scenes. Because originally, Chris Nolan's Batman and Brian Singer's Superman were supposed to exist in the same world. And they were, and that's how Batman v Superman was going to take place. And then from there, we would get to Justice League. And there's a whole, you know, amazing sort of story in a one. It's it's like it's like playing a role playing game with branching story paths. But you know, there's there was this this critical sort of turning point at Warner Brothers and their philosophies and how we ended up here. So I just kind of wanted to mention that. You know, I think at some point I'm going to want to have you back on, or maybe I'll jump on the BOF podcast and we could talk about it. Because at one point Nolan's thing wasn't going to be so self contained. You know, a lot of that happened because Superman Returns underperformed and Nolan was sort of given free reign to just decide that he's going to make this its own thing. Because originally it was going to be Bale and Ralph as Superman and Batman in the same movie together. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I'm curious to know if Nolan would have directed that himself. Maybe. I don't know. I I know that he's been really adamant over the years and and the times that Bill has been able to actually interview him in person. They've talked about this on and off the record that. He he just thought it was better that these characters existed in their own worlds. And yeah. uh, I don't necessarily agree with that per se, uh, but I will say this. And this this, again, is opening up another can of worms. But I'll, I'll just make a blanket statement here is that is that for me, the D.C. characters do work better by themselves. That's how they were originally designed. They're in they're in different you know, they come from yeah. different worlds. They're, they're in different cities. You know, the, the Avengers, all that was, I mean, Stanley, everything was in New York. Yeah. They were, that was how, that was all, it was how it was. That's the genesis of all that. Mm-hmm. DC, they manufactured that later. And, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mind, you know, seeing Batman and Superman on screen together is fine. And, uh, I just, I personally prefer, and I think they're going to do this with 2.0 is limit, that interaction. And yeah, it's all technically part of the DCU, but I don't think that we're going to see uh, like in Matt Reeves, Batman film. My guess is it's probably going to be a prequel anyway. So it's a moot point because none of this would have taken place yet, but let's just say that I'm incorrect on that. And it's in quote unquote real time. I, I don't think we'll see a lot of, you know, Gal Gadot cameos and Henry yeah. Cavill cameos. I, I, I I just, I really doubt that. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next question now that you've seen it. You know, there's been a lot of chatter and I I had Bill on here last week, you know, talking about how what's been cut from Justice League and a lot of the sort of story elements that, that are no longer on, you know, part of the final cut that originally way back when were going to be part of this film. Now, without any spoilers, you know... I, I was under the impression, and, and Bill seemed to confirm this last week, that a lot of what was cut was that sort of shared world, world-building stuff they were doing. And as you mentioned, that you think there's going to be a lot of limited interaction between these movies moving forward. So with that in mind, how did Justice League handle the world-building? Did it seem like they were trying to drop lots of seeds for how interconnected things are going to end up being? Or does it really seem like they, they clipped a lot of that off to make it its own self-contained story? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's impossible to say that um, just by virtue of them all being together and having this adventure together that it's obviously planting seeds for more adventures with these people um, interacting with one another. At at the same time, 
considering that this was supposed to be two films and there was going to be a Justice League 2. And, and I'm not saying there never will be a Justice League 2 again, but it, it's not going to be the Justice League 2 that was going to happen yeah. because that was under Snyder and it was all part of this film. It was very much kind of like a Richard Donner thing, what he was doing with yeah. his, first, his first two Superman films. That mm-hmm. That's how Snyder wanted to do Justice League. So in that regard, yeah, it is a little bit of an, in a vacuum because it, it does have an ending – and there are uh, some post-credit stuff that is fun, and definitely stick around to watch that. That that could lead to some fun, interesting things. But um, I think that it's a tough question to answer because, especially without I, the reason I'm hesitating, because I'm like, oh, I can't say that. No, I can't yeah. say that. I, I can't say that. Uh, here's the thing. Simply put, it's a little bit of both. I think that they did an okay job with once, once you know. Let's face it; these characters, <laughs> three of them, were introduced like via 7-Eleven surveillance videos and an email attachment and BBS, okay? <laughs> we saw Flash for the first time, if you don't count the uh, the dream sequence, mm-hmm. we, we see Flash for the first time literally like through a 7-Eleven surveillance video uh, in an email, which I think was, you know, I think that was kind of lazy. <laughs> but that's already been established. That was, yeah. a, that was a, a sin from the original or from BBS. So because that's already gone, I think they did a good job in this film bringing them all together I would say in terms of character development or anything like that and really getting into uh, – yeah, there's not a lot of that. I mean obviously this film's only two hours. There's a lot to hap- that happens and it gets introduced. But I think it, it, it brings the characters in in, in, a, in a very satisfactory way with what it had to work with. And it kind of reminds me – a good analogy, and I said this to a friend last night after the movie. Did you, did you ever see The Usual Suspects? Yeah, of course. Okay, do you know you know how those characters were? There were a lot of characters introduced in a short amount of time, then they mm-hmm. go on this adventure together. Then of course they start getting killed off, right? But but you you get invested in them pretty quickly, and there's a, and there's enough little setups that make it satisfactory. And that's kind of that's a that to me is sort of like how this is. I think Justice League nice. has that in, has that in common with Usual Suspects. Honestly, I mean obviously very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tone. But in terms of yeah, being but, able but, to introduce, you know, build it up and then break it back yeah. down all in the span of two hours. I don't have any complaints where that's concerned, personally. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I have to ask, are there any hints of a storyline out for Affleck's Bruce Wayne? I ask that because, you know, once again, we're, there's renewed chatter about how he's probably going to be gone soon. And I've, I've been very curious as to whether or not they're going to introduce something about the character where it's like he, you know, he's dropping hints that he might retire soon or that similar to the Christian Bale Batman, that the cowl is more important than the person wearing it so he may pass it on to someone. Like, was there any indication that you know they they found a way to transition him out no i think that this will be a continuation of that batman yeah so it'll be very much in, in a soft reboot fashion i'm assuming anyway aesthetically considering this is snyder is not involved anymore yeah and in, in the creative process is that i think it's probably akin to what happened with Val Kilmer's transition from Michael Keaton. It's still the same Batman, still the same universe, but you know, it, it is, and it isn't still the same Batman. Yeah. It's, I think, it's, I think there's going to be a little bit, but obviously he's surrounded by the same supporting cast. So it is, I think it's probably going to be a little bit of that, but my guess is this, uh, I, I've said since back in January, we've had word and talked to people and, and, and whatnot that it was getting kind of dicey whether or not Affleck was going to do the film. Yeah. At first, it, at first it was about him directing it. 
And we went public with that and then we got ridiculed. And then he went on Kimmel and said, no, I'm directing. And then it was like, you know, BOF sucks. Everybody sucks that said that. And then of course he didn't direct. Um, and then, and then, oh, but he's still going to star in it. And he tweeted to Matt Reeves, welcome to the Batcave. And, you know, then he, you know, he talks about, he loves, he'd crawl around as an ape for Matt Reeves, all that stuff. <laughs> yep. And then, but, but I'm hearing stuff from, from sources and everything going, mm, don't, that's all just PR BS. He's there's mm-hmm. there. It's brewing. It's not good. So that was unfortunate. And then, of course, the comments yesterday were day before yesterday where he's now just contemplating maybe yep. doing Matt Reeves. You know what that you know what that translates to? He's done. <laughs> he's done. Right? He's done. He's done. He's done. And and so I don't think that they they didn't have a setup for him to leave. And I don't think they need that. They can just seamlessly transition yeah. the new actor. And if it's a prequel story, which I think Reeves is going to do and I actually kind of hope he does, I want to see Laird's. Jared Leto's Joker before he had his grill. I want to see him. Yeah. I want to see how he got the grill. I want to see him kill Jason Todd. I want to, I want to meet Dick Grayson. I would love that. Yep. That's hopefully Chris McKay's Nightwing, you know, all that stuff. Like let's go back and tell those stories and it's still in the DCU, but he Mm -hmm. doesn't have to talk about Superman and Aquaman because they're not even around yet. And so it's like a, it's a win, win. And you have a different actor playing Batman. You accept that visually a little easier because it's he's younger and right. I think you know that's the smart. Funny, and you know. you know why this just confirms that we are now best friends. What you are saying <laughs> is exactly what I said last week to Bill, and he totally agreed. So oh, you and I, I, are, I, 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 I and I haven't listened to the show yet. I've been yeah. meaning to. So no, no, it's cool. fine. It's fine. It's just funny. Like you and I are literally on the same wavelength. Like I, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, we have the same parents, and I was adopted, and I, I don't know what it is. But you're my long, lo- you're my long, you're my long lost half brother. I don't have a, yeah. unfortunately, I don't have any like sexy Latina in me, man, but oh, that's well, all right. You know, it's okay. You know, we're not all perfect, <laughs> but listen, um, you know, it literally, that's exactly what I said to Bill last week. Yeah. They should make it a prequel. You hire a younger actor to play him and then you get the, you know, you, you get to have your cake and eat it too. Like we're literally on the same wavelength. So I do hope that someone out there in WB land you know, here's these prayers that they kind of go that way because it's a perfect way to, as Affleck said yesterday, a cool way to segue out of the role. That would be a perfect sort of way to do it. Although I'm still mystified that we that we've gotten to this point again, where at San Diego Comic Con just a few months ago, as you mentioned, he has that line about playing a gorilla, an ape on the ground for for Matt Reeves, and then that very telling line where it's a total sort of it, it has an escape hatch attached to it, where he says, um, "Yeah, I will play Batman for as long as the studio will have me." So to go from that last summer to I'm contemplating Batman is just unbelievable to me. And for him to be mentioning a way to a cool way, quote unquote, to segue out of the role after sitting at a panel in San Diego and telling fans around the world that I'm here for good. I'm here. I will play this role for as long as they want me. And now this it's like it's just unbelievable. The back and forth. And it's unbelievable. And I'm over it, man. Yeah, I'm over the drama. Too. And listen, I, and I'm going to say this, and I, 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 I contemplated, I vacillated. Do I say? Do I? I'm, but I'm going to just, I'm going to be honest about one thing, and I can say this, and this is not breaking my embargo, is that, okay, of all the issues that BBS had, Affleck was not one of them. He was surprisingly good to me, especially considering how much I love Bell as Batman, and I wasn't quite ready for a new cinematic Batman yet. Yeah. I thought it was a little too soon, but. 
all that went away. And I love Jeremy Irons as Alfred. I was like, okay, you know what? This is a cool Bruce Wayne and Alfred. It's a different one from Michael Caine and Christian Bale. I like that. And it works just as well. It's yeah. great. That part is great. He was great. I was like, can't wait to see him do more Batman. He's a great Batman. Aesthetically, he's the best looking Batman ever in terms of size. Yeah. And, and you're just, he looks like he just walked chin. off the comic. That damn yeah, it was like he's that damn chin. It was like he just walked off the pages of a comic book. Yeah. Now, let's get to Justice League. Okay. And I'm gonna again, this pains me to say this, but I'm gonna be honest and I'm and I'm curious to see if this gets this gets brought up, uh, gets brought up in reviews. Oh boy. Is that it to me, it's painfully obvious, okay, the scenes that he shot with Snyder versus the ones that he had to shoot six months later with Joss. And during that time period, and I hope to God he gets his his stuff together because he's a family man and he's and I like Ben Affleck a lot, but he's he's you know we know that he's kind of falling off the wagon. All yep. that stuff is public information. All right, I'm not I'm not I'm not being like um, no, you're not I'm you're not, not, I'm being not being TMZ. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that's we know that is it's common knowledge and it's unfortunate, and it's just to me it's very obvious. There's a ju- you juxtapose. Like he looks so great and his performance is on the money and, and and a great deal of Justice League. And then, man, some of those reshoot scenes are rough. He's splotchy. Um, he seems off. Puffy. He almost seems like he's puffy. He, feel, he, he and, and he looks like he's phoning in his performance, man. He just it's very lazy. And there's yeah. and there's several specific scenes that I will reference after I can get into spoiler stuff in here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I, and I, and I was watching it last night and, my, and everybody I was around agreed with that assessment and it made me sad to say it. And it's not like it's terrible or an atrocious performance because I mean, he can go on autopilot and he's going to be, you know, he's a pro and he's, he's good. And so, you know, he can go on autopilot and still, it'll still work, but Mm -hmm. I noticed it and I'm sitting here going, I just feel like he just needs to go at this point. Like I, I love him in the part, but in 25% of this movie, it's an, it's just an off performance. He doesn't look good. And I just want to see him, get his life together and, and, and move on. I'll tip my hat to him that he made the best out of a, he made a really kick-ass Batman out of not so kick-ass movies. And I think that's, he deserves a lot of credit for that. It's impressive. And if, and if, and if you like those movies or better than I do, and you think those movies are kick-ass and more power to you, that's even better for you because you get the full package, but I at least got him and I'll take it, you know? Yeah. Well, and not to, not to beat a dead bat, but aside from obviously what you saw in the movie, which I will get to see on Thursday, even just in person, in terms of the all these promotional appearances these last few weeks, I just I, I see him and I see a guy who's over it. You know, he smiles for whatever the like official picture is, but everything before and after it, he looks like a guy who just wants to be anywhere but there. And it just, it, you know, it's. If if I'm reading it through just these little press snippets and and, and candid shots, and now you're hearing it that it, it even seemingly comes through in the movie itself, you know, as much as it pains me, I got to agree, agree. I think it's time for him to go because I I have enjoyed him. I would have loved to have seen him play the role for years and years to come, but it just seems like it, it, this thing went south. It's unfortunate and it's premature. But he's, you know, it's it's time to say goodbye. Um, Either time you know. to say goodbye, or he recommits. He he recommits and gets it together, and 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 brings us the Batman that he brought us in BVS, and and brings us for the most part in Justice League. But I think I think when you see it, I 
I'm confident. I think you'll agree. I, I, it's, 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 it's noticeable and, and, um, it's depressing because he's, he can, he can be so great. He really and can. He All can. Right. Okay. So look, I've only got you for a couple more minutes. Um, so I kind of want to end on, on a, on a more uplifting note. You know, he was on Kimmel yesterday and there were actually a couple of funny things that came out of that appearance. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to address those. Um, you know, he revealed that both he and Matt Damon had auditioned to play Robin. Had you heard about that? Yeah, and I saw his kid in the Flash thing too. It was a great little interview, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think he's yeah, he's a he's pure Hollywood in terms of like he knows how to sell. He understands the business. He knows that you know, working those little anecdotes into the interviews. Like you know, he he's a he's a great boon to any franchise that'll have him. It's just a shame he doesn't want to be part of this one anymore. But you uh, know, uh, that that, that was years. cool. Go ahead. It was, I was going to say a few years ago, uh, it was not two or three years ago, I guess now, two years ago. Sorry, I'm doing math in my head. That's always a dangerous thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I ran into Affleck at the MGM and I was I was like literally at a blackjack table across from him playing a minimum hand that I could not afford to play, but was doing it anyway because I'm a. I'm an obsessive gambler when I start drinking, especially, oh, but, but, but I'm like, oh, you know, you're at a, a table you can't afford to be gambling at when yeah. Affleck's sitting at the table next to you. Oh, but, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I almost, I was texting Bill and I was, I almost went over and plus I had drinks in me. I had some liquid courage, like, Hey, Rick, shoot Batman. And yeah. it was, and it was before BBS came out and some of the trailers were already out. I was going to pick his brain, but I left him alone. I was like, no, that's cheesy. I'm yeah. drinking. He's a Batman. I feel get the F out of here. Uh, but this is what I was going to say. I've, I've been in his physical presence and yeah. the dude, the dude is Hollywood. I mean, he is, he's as cool as they come man. like, yeah, he's, he's, got a that, that, he's a that, that stud. X factor. Yeah. I was like, I was like looking for my wife going, I don't want her to see this cat. Where's she at? <laughs> I, I need to, I need to hide him from my wife. Yeah. You know, uh, cause he's just, he's a stud and he's a, he's a cool guy. Fluent yeah. Spanish. Uh, I like his, I like his politics personally. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things about Affleck and I, and I love his Batman. Yeah. But, um, and, and that's the funny thing too. Everyone comes at us cause they think we're trying to beat him down or because you know, we're, we're talking smack about him as Batman. Like, no, we're fans. Like I, I, I shouldn't speak for you even though we're you know, cause we're not officially best friends yet, but We're getting getting there. We're getting there. (laughs) But I feel like, you know, I am a fan. I'm a big supporter. I've loved his writing. I've loved his directing for them. I haven't seen Live By Night, but everything else I've seen, like, I believe in this guy. I root for this guy. No one was happier than I was when he had his own career resurgence as a director after The Town and Argo came out. And suddenly he was back after years of being a punchline after Geely and Jersey Girl. Like, I was cheering. I, I, I want to see him do well. I want to see his projects prosper. I want to see him sort of with a renewed sort of vigor and focus. Like, I, I'm excited for his future. But I guess for the time being, I, I'm also I, I want to see him get his affairs back in order because it does seem like, you know, he's going through a lot. There was the recent divorce. There's the whole thing where he was in rehab earlier this year. You know, he's going through some stuff and it sounds like the, it feels like this D.C. thing is sort of an albatross hanging off of him that in a way is almost holding him back from from fixing himself. So I, I kind of hope he does step away, gets his life back in order and continues on the path he was on before he entered the fray and put on the couch. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Let me just say two of my favorite athlete performances are, are supporting roles. Yeah. And they, I think they get overlooked, um, particularly one of them, but I'll say Shakespeare in love. 
uh, he's great in that film. And it's, yeah, he's, he, yeah. he really is. He's great in Shakespeare in love mm-hmm. and you're watching him. Wow. He can handle classical material. Yeah. And then, and then in days of confused, he was in days and confused. It's one of my favorite films because I watched that going, I feel like I'm just watching a film of a bunch of high school kids in the late seventies. I don't even feel like I'm watching like it's (laughs) like a a camera is on real people. This doesn't even feel like a movie. Richard Linklater is a genius. Oh, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. But Affleck and that film, man, he's, he's, remember he's the guy that, He's like a senior, but he fails. So he's like a senior again, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he but, and he still wants to go around doing the ritual where he busts the ass of the, the yeah. freshman with the paddle, and all the kids are like, "Does that count?" The loser like failed. He gets to do it again. But that he is so funny in that movie, man. And uh, I, if you haven't seen Days of Confused in a long time, or and if you see it and you don't think about Affleck being in it because you're too preoccupied with yeah. Matthew McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey's cool role, he's in the film and he's got a great part. He's in it maybe. 10, 15 minutes, but he chews up every scene he's in. He's great. So. Well, yeah, the camera loves him, and he's just, he's yeah. got this easy charisma. Like you said, you know, he's Hollywood. You know, like, you look at him and like, yep, that's that's a guy who belongs on the big screen. Um, it's, 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 it's time to bust some ass. I don't know. I, that's just <laughs> one of my favorite lines. You gotta, you gotta see it in context. Yeah. All in context. Yeah, I, anyway, I, I think so. I saw that one again, like, about a year ago. So I, it's still pretty fresh to me, and I, I agree it, with you. It tugs on my heartstrings a little more too because it's set in Austin, and so it's also sort of a Texas high school film, and, yeah. and, and, and it's it's relatively close to my age. I mean, yeah. when they were in high school, I was probably in third grade, but still, yeah. I, it's like I was living, I was there. I remember the seventies. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I feel like I should have you back on at some point just to talk about boyhood if we're talking about Linklater and sure. all that stuff. But listen. Right, so- Go ahead. This, this is this is on BOF how we come up with our satellite shows, man. We it just start happens, talking right? about stuff, yeah. <laughs> and like and like we need to do a podcast on freaking Richard Linklater films, and we'll 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 make it happen. Well, so, already yeah. I'm thinking I need to have you back on for a Superman discussion, even though I'm going to be on the Batman on film Superman episode that's coming up. And I also yeah. want to have you back on to talk Star Wars since you and I are both Star Wars junkies and we both love the same one. The Empire Strikes Back we think is the best. So I'm going to want to have you on again as Last Jedi approaches. Uh, but before I, 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 I will talk, I will talk Batman or Star Wars any day of the week and twice on Sunday, my friend. You just Woo-hoo. tell me when and when. Nice. All right. And that last thing I'll ask, and I might be totally off here, but. Tell me, I feel like I've heard that there are pictures floating around of you in a spandex Superman costume. Is that is that true? Oh, man. So, yeah. Uh, first of all, <laughs> I was uh, I, I'm, I'm an I'm an old school actor and I was a very active actor in my 20s and early 30s. Yeah. But um, I was I was I was reading for the role of Superman uh, up until Brandon Routh was cast. Get and- out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a whole like I could tell you a bunch of stories about that. I even have I gotta find it, but I have one of the auditions on tape. It was a pretty exciting experience. I'll never forget the girlfriend of my time. He's now my lovely wife. She uh, she called me. We were living in an apartment together. I guess in two thousand four. She said, "Hey, come here." I, so she was, and it was this guy's picture pulled up on the computer. It was a black and white headshot. I'm like, "Who the hell is that guy?" She's like. That's the new Superman, and that's how I found out. Because I was supposed to go, I was supposed to fly out and test screen with yeah. uh, Kevin Spacey, and it never happened because Brian Singer found his guy, man. He, he yeah. and it was like he's a bartender in Iowa that had one guest star in General yeah. Hospital. I'm like, yeah. get the hell out of here! But yeah, so that was so that that's was that. But part of the part of the audition process is that I my agent sent in. I played Superman at Six Flags and uh, for a couple of summers at, a, at an indoor stunt show. Man, yeah. I flew 60 feet over the audience. 
it was it was it was awesome. So yeah. um, I'll uh, I'll I'll send you a couple of those pictures. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you want so to know something to, got, funny, by the way, yeah. in terms of how our yeah. how our destinies sort of cross. You know who broke the story? I mean, I can't not, not me personally, so I don't want to overhype it. But you know who broke the story of Brandon Routh as Superman, which is probably where you ended up seeing that headshot and were given it was, and dealt that blow. Yeah. Yep, it was Latino Review. Yeah, that was <laughs> and you were part of it. Latino Review, and that was my yeah. crew. And yeah, so it's funny. See, we are best friends. This was destined yeah. to happen. But yeah. here's what uh, I need uh, you to it, do. It, 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 that's when I was introduced to Latino Review, and I became I was a fan. I knew who you were, and uh, nice. yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, good. So here's what I here's what I want though, because I asked about the Superman costume, not even realizing that you like that, what an epic story that is, but because I want you to send me a, uh, your best picture of you as Superman. Because I also have a spandex uh, Superman, and I, I, I want to send it out to, to both our followers later today, and we're going to ask them all who wore it better. I am all over it. I'm already, <laughs> I'm, I'm already going through my Facebook albums looking for it, dude. All right, good. So, Rick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was a ton of fun. I got to have you on again soon. I can't wait to get on your show and mix it up with you and Jet. And uh, this is going to be, th- th- I just, I really appreciate you coming on. And despite everything, I still can't wait for Justice League on this Thursday. So, thanks for talking Justice League with me. You should be excited about it. There's plenty to love about it. And it was an honor to be on, sir. Thank you very much. So that was certainly a good time, huh? I'm going to have to get Rick back on sooner rather than later. That was a blast. But okay, here we go. I have some new reviews to read for you all. I always promise you that anyone who takes the time to write me a review on, on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, they used to call it, uh, I will read it out, and I will I will give you a shout-out. So here's what we're going to do. I got three this week. Three, I tell you. Uh, the first one is called Simply the Best. It's written by someone named EMTNYC28. They gave five stars. They say, Mario is my one-stop shop for genre film entertainment news and analysis, period. Keep it up, MFR. So I like that. Nice, short, and sweet. Then the next one comes from user uh, Tan Tan Late sixty two. Uh, it's called uh, Longtime Listener. It says, "Thanks for always giving me the best commute home from work on Tuesdays." Talking about the movies I love, always feel like you're right there with me, talking directly to me. You know, it's funny. I get that a lot. That's been one. Um, sort of recurring bit of praise that I get on this show, that somehow, even though it's just me talking to you, uh, you guys tend to feel like we're having a conversation and like this is more of a personal thing. I don't know what I'm doing that creates that feeling for you, but I'm just thrilled that you guys feel that way because I I feel like we are all connected. You're my friends. You're listening. We're all supporting each other here. Uh, The next one is just called DC Fanboy. Uh, it comes from someone named uh, Drackle, Drakelby. Uh, another five-star review. He said, I never heard of this show before last week, but I checked it out because Jet from Batman on Film was on it, and I'm glad I did. This MFR guy knows his stuff. So I've been checking out older episodes all week, and now I felt like I had to review it. 
because I am now a fan and a subscriber. Jeez, wow. Um, it's been funny to go back and see how many little things he's gotten right. My only critique is I wish he'd have guests more often. I think the shows where he speaks to people are the best ones, but I'm glad to have another movie geek podcast to follow either way. Well, uh, Dra Drakel Drac Drac LB, as you can see, I've been working on that. We had Rick on this week. We had um, Dave and Kelvin on the week prior. And then the week before that, you heard when I had Kyle Hester and uh, Bill from Batman on Film on. So I am trying more regularly now to book guests. Now that I've got the Patreon page and you guys are starting to pitch in your support and turning this into a real sort of viable thing for me. It gives me a little more uh, oomph and chutzpah to reach out there and try to book guests and, and devote more of my time and energy to this show. For those of you who are new to the show, you know, if you go to patreon.com slash lfanboy, you guys basically help crowdfund this experience. Um, you know, I, I'm not out there looking for, for big time sponsors. I'd rather just keep it you guys. I want to feel like this is a show by you, for you, and this is all of us together talking about these movies we love and, uh, and honor and sometimes hate together. So please visit the Patreon if you'd like to continue uh, to support the show. As you can see, I've been ramping up the amount of content there was that Man of Steel thing, and then tonight I'm going to be watching the Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition. I've never seen it before, and I'm going to be putting up a video review of Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition, so keep an eye out for that. On Thursday, we got the Unite the Fanboys Justice League Watch Party, if you guys want to join in. Uh, otherwise, I will I will be sure to keep the social media alive that night with what goes on. Uh, and also later today, I will be posting a side-by-side -side comparison of myself and Mr. Shu in our respective Superman costumes. So I want to know from you guys who wore it better. And this week's recommendation, last but not least, I was thinking, you know, it's a sort of bookend thing since I'm sort of saying goodbye to Zack Snyder. This week, let's talk a little bit about how I met Zack Snyder, and that is Dawn of the Dead back in 2004. That is this week's recommendation. It was a remake of the George A. Romero classic zombie movie. And you know what? It's kind of interesting to revisit it nowadays because it's Zack Snyder. This was his first feature film. Uh, you know who wrote the screenplay? James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy. The screenplay was surprisingly smart. Zack Snyder's execution of the movie I thought was very well done and very clever. And every time that movie's on TV, I find myself watching it. So you have Snyder and James Gunn as the talent behind the camera. In front of the camera, you've got Ving Rhames in there. You've got Mackay Pfeiffer, Ty Burrell, Michael Kelly, who we've gotten to know so well over the years, thanks to House of Cards, who was then, you know, he worked again with Snyder again in Man of Steel and when he played Lombard. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to go back and watch Dawn of the Dead now with everything that's gone on in the last 13 years. So, Mr. Snyder, I met you with Dawn of the Dead 13 years ago, and I bid adieu to you with Justice League this Thursday. Everyone, thank you for joining me. Keep your eyes peeled to the El Fanboy YouTube channel and right here on the El Fanboy podcast. And until next week, adios. Adios.